0: Hi everyone. My name is Roni Furone and this is The Bigger Picture. Where we sit down with experts to hear about their journeys, their insights and the big ideas that drive them. Stay tuned for today's episode. In today's episode we spoke about game theory and its different applications in real life with Professor Aydon Sodan from Tel Aviv University. Aydon holds a PhD in mathematics from the Hebrew University. Besides his fascination with math, Aydon is also a fan of sci-fi, and he authored two science fiction books in Hebrew. One of the topics we spoke about is this really exciting idea of emergent ethics arising out of game theory models. And the idea is basically this— that after modeling certain games and seeing all of the potential strategies and outcomes of the different moves that the players can make in the game, one of the things that we discover after running all of these models is that the best long-term strategy in many games is a cooperative strategy. And I think that this is a really cool idea because in a way this means that we can derive a certain code of ethics or values from math. And values and math are usually not two things that we think of going together. But that's what makes game theory so interesting, because in a sense, in game theory, the idea of cooperation can be mathematically proven. So if this sounds up your alley, stay tuned and enjoy today's episode. So I wanted to start, could you give the audience a bit of a background of how you came to study game theory and what drew you to this field?
1: Uh, My undergraduate studies were in computer science and mathematics. And after one year, I understood that mathematics is much more interesting than computer sciences. And then in my third year, I took a class in game theory because uh, the title is very sexy and I wanted to know what it is. So uh, together with a friend, we started taking uh, this class and I immediately fell in love. So the professor, he was very serious and he presented the material very nicely. And I immediately knew that this is the topic I'm, I want to study and this is the professor with whom I want to work. And indeed, later, I uh, continued uh, to my PhD with uh, that professor.
0: Amazing. I think, um, you know, a lot of people who are interested in mathematics, they uh, a lot of times, I'll go to the computer science route because it seems more practical, right? But uh, obviously, that's not necessarily the case. So, what what would you say to people like that who are interested in mathematics?
1: Uh, mathematics is the best. <laughs> if you love it, then that's the topic for you. I mean, there are uh, it is uh, it makes sense. Uh, you can uh, build everything from bottom up and you you say explicit thing, you prove explicit theorems, there are many nice ideas, many interesting ideas, don't think about the practicality. Uh, because, uh, I mean, who knows what is practical, what will be practical and what will not be practical in 10 years. For sure. And actually, uh, today, mathematicians can uh, work in the high-tech, uh, and they can work in uh, larger firms, in banks, uh, so there is a lot of work for mathematicians. And for example, in diamond companies, I mean, uh, when you think of it, when you have a huge diamond and you have to cut it into small pieces, then uh, you would like to find algorithms that uh, make the best use of this uh, piece of diamond that you have. And who writes those algorithms? Those are mathematicians. Amazing. So... You can find nowadays mathematics everywhere. So actually, it it is very practical. And on top of it, it is very uh, interesting.
0: Amazing, amazing. So you said that your uh, interest and your uh, field of research is game theory. So I think a lot of us, you know, we hear the term game theory and we don't necessarily know what it means, right? And I know that for myself, when I started exploring this field, to try to understand what it means, I came across this, you know, basic definition that really resonated with me. And the definition goes something like this. It's that game theory is the study of decision making when it comes to situations in which the decision that I make depends on the decisions that other people make. And when I heard that, I thought, oh, they're describing life, right? Like every decision that I make, I can't look at it in a vacuum it's not just my own individual decision. The decisions that I make in reality uh, have to do with what's going on around me. And, and when I heard that definition, it kind of clicked. And then, you know, I was hooked. So I wanted to know what you thought of that definition and uh, if, you, if you agree with it. And uh, maybe if you can expand on it a bit.
1: Yeah. So indeed, uh, game theory is the study of interactions. And interactions can be any uh, interactions among people, humans, among firms, among con- countries, among animals. So among decision makers. So whenever there are entities that can make decisions, we have a game. And you are absolutely correct. Uh, almost all interactions we see around us is a ga- are a games. And therefore, game theory is so important. Uh, I guess uh, the only uh, interactions that are not games are computer games that we play with the computer and without other people. So uh, not online games that we play with other people around the world, but uh, games like Solitaire. Uh, Those are not games because uh, you play them against yourself. Uh, And so...
0: Right, we should have another word for
1: those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes, yeah, so we mathematicians do have another word for those. Okay, but, uh, what yeah, is it? Those are decision problems. Okay. But not games.
0: I see, I see.
1: And to have a game, you must have several decision makers, several participants. And each participant uh, can make a choice, can uh, has to choose between several uh, uh, behaviors, several actions, several strategies... And each one has his own preferences, has his own goals. So uh, if we think uh, about a market, uh, I mean, an old type market, uh, the city market where we have sellers and buyers. And then uh, me as a, as a buyer, I would like to purchase enough tomatoes and enough cucumbers uh, as, uh, so that they are both not too expensive and that their quality is sufficiently high. And you as a seller would like to sell as much as you can for as high a price as you can. So we have, uh, we have our participants, we have their goals, and then uh, each one has to make a choice. How many cu- tomatoes and cucumbers will I buy and from whom? And, and you as a seller has to decide what is the posted price that you are going uh, uh, to post for each of your products. So, indeed, uh, what I will do depends on what you did before me, okay? So, you are the seller. You first uh, post your prices, and then I decide uh, from which seller I will buy and how many tomatoes, how many cucumbers, okay? And now, uh, maybe you react to what I do, because if you see that nobody buys from you, then you will adapt your behavior. You will lower the prices, so those are games that are played uh, sequentially. Okay, that, okay. Uh, they are not one shot. It's not that we come, play, and leave. But we remain in the market for some time, and we have uh, 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 the opportunity to revise our behavior.
0: Right, and most most uh, interactions in the real world are more sequential than these one-shot uh, games.
1: Indeed, there are one-shot games. There are. Uh, there are sequential games, repeated games. Uh, indeed, most interactions are repeated. Some of them are one shot. Because uh, if you think about um, an auction, uh, right. an auction, this is uh, a game between the bidders and the bidders have to bid uh, uh, some amount for, uh, for let's say, the Van Gogh uh Uh, painting that is being sold. And then after the auction, we leave the auction room and that's it. The interaction is over. So this is a one-shot interaction. In that case, what I decide does not depend on maybe on what you decide uh, because we move simultaneously. So when I I decide what to do, I do not know what you will decide to do. Okay. For example, if you think about uh, an arm race between two countries. So when do we meet? When do we actually know uh, what happens and how much each one of us invested in our arms? Well, when there is war, how many wars are there? Okay. Right. There are not. So this is not a repeated game because we invest uh, a, long year, a long several years, but I do not know what you do and you do not know what I do. So I will invest in, uh, in my, uh, in my uh, weapons uh, an amount that corresponds to what I think that you will invest, because I would like to be ahead of you. And similarly, you would like to be ahead of me. So our, uh, our choices depend on what we believe the other player will do, knowing that what he or she will do depends on, on her or his estimate on what we will do.
0: Right, and here comes into play this idea of information and what information that we have.
1: Indeed, yeah. So uh, to make better choices, you need better information, and uh, and indeed uh, game theory tells us that the better information you have, the are uh, the, the the better decisions you will make.
0: Okay. Okay. So there are all of these different models that. Um, help us understand what happens when we have incomplete information, right? Do you have an example for us um, so we can kind of uh, get a better feel for it?
1: Yeah, so uh, situations with incomplete information. So think, for example, about auctions for natural resources. So there is some uh, oil field or a diamond mine or um, any other natural resource that is being auctioned by the government. And and so there are bidders who are uh, huge firms that exploit those natural resources, and they need to bid uh, to get the license to use those the oil field or uh, the diamond mine or whatever. And then the question is, how much am I going to bid? Now, I do not know what is the worth of uh, of the resource in this mine, and so I use uh, experts, geologists, uh, who will uh, do their tests and tell me uh, how much they estimate those uh, this uh, license to be worth. And then, uh, so the better geologist I have which has more accurate information, which can extract more, better information about uh, the, the the mine, the oil field, then uh, the, the better uh, bid I can make so that I don't overpay for that uh, license.
0: Okay. And in this situation um, comes into play another uh, situation where it's called the winner's curse.
1: Yes, indeed. The winner's curse. So... That, uh, this is a phenomenon that was found uh, in, uh, in uh, auctions for natural resources in Africa in the 50s, 60s, where they found out that consistently winners overbid for the licenses, and therefore they lost, okay? because they paid too much for the licenses that they won, and they couldn't figure out why this happens. Okay, because why consistently do our geologists not uh, estimate correctly uh, the worth of the li- of the, of the field, of the license? And then it was understood that uh, the reason is optimism or over optimism. Because suppose that there are 10 bidders for some license. Well. And so who will win? So each of our, each of us, each of the bidders hires a geologist. The geologist gives some estimate for the, uh, for the worth of the license. And then uh, the, the firm makes, uh, makes uh, a bid, which is based on this estimate. Who will win the auction? The winner will be that firm who is the most optimist.
0: Okay. Finally, we have a, a, an example for when optimism doesn't serve us. <laughs> Something we could use against all the optimists out there.
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, actually, uh, it serves us, but we should take into account the yes. fact that, uh, that uh, okay, so we are the most optimistic, but usually the truth is not uh, as optimistic as, uh, as, uh, as, uh, as ourselves, but the truth is somewhere in the middle. There will be some of our geologists who will be more optimistic, some who will be less optimistic. But the winner will be the most optimist one, and, right. and he or she will pay the most, and it will be more than the worth of the license.
0: Right. So knowing that, what what should we do to...
1: Yeah. yeah. So game theory tells us that we should realize that if we win the auction, it means that we are the most optimist. But then we are going to overpay. For the for the license, and therefore we have to lower our bid. So suppose that our uh, geologist told us that the worth is one one hundred million dollars. Then I say, oh uh-uh. oh, if if I'm not going to win, if there is someone else who is more optimist than me, then I will not win anyway because he will outbid me. Okay, but if I'm the most optimist. It means that I should uh, that probably the worth of the license is less than one hundred. Probably it is only ninety million, uh, and so I should lower my bid to below ninety million so that I still make a profit. Now, if there weren't only ten bidders but one hundred bidders, then if I bid, then if I win, it means that I'm extremely optimist, right? Because I was more optimist, not more than ten. Uh, optimist more than 10 other bidders but oh but among 100 bidders i was the most optimist which means i'm way optimist than the truth so if there are more bidders it means that i should lower even more my bid uh than my than the estimate that my geologist tells me
0: okay okay amazing it's it's amazing how um you know Taking into account these human interactions, but really we can look at it from a mathematical point of view and find out, you know, better ways to inform our decisions in the situation. You wouldn't think that intuitively, uh, you wouldn't think that the number of uh, bidders uh, had anything to do with it. But really, if you take this into account, then it makes sense. You don't want to be more optimistic than 100 people, then you're obviously a little bit extreme on the curve there.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. so uh, one, uh, one significance of uh, of game theory is that it gives us a framework to uh, model interactive inter- uh, situations and uh, to, to model them uh, and to understand them better.
0: I think that idea of a model uh, is so powerful because there's so much variability in human interactions. There's so many different factors and variables that are affecting everything, and we can't really keep track of everything. But having these simplified models of all sorts of different uh, situations helps us kind of run simulations, right, and see what the outcomes are and to find the best strategies. Um, for different situations. So can you tell us a little bit about this idea of strategy and how, uh, how game theory can inform us and ex- give us better strategies? So
1: game theory, as I said, allows us to, f- to model the situation. So for example, uh, suppose we have to, uh, to uh, create uh, a coalition Okay, Among uh, the parties that were elected uh, to our parliament, uh, we would like to form a coalition. So now we have a game. We have participants, which are the various parties. And in some cases, uh, even uh, parties are divided into sub-parties that are, uh, that, uh, are different players. But uh, anyway, suppose that we have uh, nine parties. Each party has some, uh, some uh, worth, the number of, uh, of uh, parliament members that they have, and we have uh, to uh, form a coalition. Okay? Now, uh, each, each uh, party has its goal. So some parties would like uh, to get as many uh, ministries as possible. Some would like uh, to, I don't know, to be the prime minister. Some would like uh, someone else not to be the prime minister. Some would like not to be in the same uh, government as some other party. So there are many goals. And game theory allows us to formulate this complicated interaction, uh, to formulate it as a as a simple uh, game, as a as a game that we can analyze, right? Okay? So it tells us what are the players, and now what can they do? Okay, so uh, I can join the coalition. I cannot. I can not join the coalition. Maybe if I would like to form a coalition, okay? I was asked by the president of, uh, of Israel to form a coalition. What I can uh, suggest? What I can propose to each of the parties so that he or she joins me. And so so it allows us to formulate the situation in a formal way, and then we can analyze it. And indeed, uh, uh, what is the strategy that I should take? What is a strategy? A strategy is how I behave. So it is a rule according to which I select my choices, my actions in the interaction. So, uh, in uh, in this game of uh, coalition formation, it can be: uh, I would like to go to Party A and offer them one thing, and then uh, to go to, later to Party B and offer and make another offer. And then, if uh, Party B told me no, then I go to Party C and make them another offer, and so on and so forth. So, it is a rule that tells me how I should behave, what I should do in the future in this interaction.
0: Right. And our strategies can also be very much influenced by the the strategies of others, right? There's, there's this idea, maybe actually it would be better to talk about uh, the prisoner's dilemma in this case, to kind of give uh, an idea of basic, um, you know, tit for tat kind of strategies. And because there's this idea of you know, in a single shot game, for instance, it's uh, it might seem more profitable to uh, to screw the other guy over, right? But in reality, we have most of the games that we have are these repeated games. And it's better in the long run to cooperate. Even, you know, in the short term, screwing someone over might give you more benefit. But at the end of the day, in the next game, no one's going to want to play with you. Or they're going to know that you're, uh, you know, you're not trustworthy. So can we talk a little bit about this idea of cooperation that emerges from game theory? So uh,
1: let's talk about uh, the prisoner's dilemma and let's uh, present it in a very simple way. So suppose that uh, you and me, we are playing the game. And what is the game? So we have an envelope and we have to write... On a piece of paper, I have to write, and you have to write, whether I give you three thousand dollars or whether I take for me one thousand dollars. Okay, so I write one of the two choices: give uh, give you, Ronnie, three thousand dollars, or give Elon one thousand dollars. This is what I write. You have to write. The analog uh, uh, choice. So you you have to write whether give me, Ronnie, $1,000 or give Elon $3,000. So each one of us has to decide whether to give a lot to the other or whether to take less for himself or herself.
0: Okay. okay. So in this situation, if we both choose to give a lot to the other person, then we both gain more.
1: Yes. Okay. But... What, and we do the choices simultaneously. So when I write my choice, I do not know what you will write. And when you write your choice, you do not know what I write. So whatever you write, I'm better off taking the $1,000 for myself. Right. Because uh, if you decide to give me $3,000, then hey, I have $4,000 in, instead of three. And if you decide to take the $1,000 for yourself then at least I get 1,000 and not zero. So whatever you write, I'm better off taking the 1,000 for me. And similarly, you, whatever I do, you are better off taking the 1,000 for yourself. So the, the, maybe the natural behavior here would be that each one of us will take 1,000 for himself or herself. And actually, when my kid was young, I asked him, what will you do in this situation? And he told me, it's clear. (laughs) I will take the 1,000 for myself. Okay. Because this is indeed the natural choice.
0: If if we're looking at one game, right?
1: Yes. (laughs) And indeed, uh, even though if each one of us uh, uh, gives the 3,000 for the other, then uh, we are better off. But it is not sustainable because each one of us is better off taking the 1,000 for himself and whatever the other guy or lady gives him.
0: Is it really not sustainable in the sense that if we have, um, you know, a repeated set of these games?
1: Yeah. yeah. So indeed, this is exactly the point where most people fail in the understanding of the prisoner's dilemma. OK. Most people think that the prisoner's dilemma shows that we should not cooperate. Right. That, that we should be egoist and take the one thousand Selfish. 000. Yes. <laughs> this is what people think. But this is not true. Because in most cases in life, situations are not one shot. Because uh, if I take the 1,000 for me, then we leave the room and then you hit me, right? <laughs> uh, or you tell my friends that I uh, was selfish and then they know that I was selfish. So uh, so interactions are not one shot. They are repeated, maybe with different players, maybe with different situations, different amounts. But but nevertheless, we keep on living. And then we, uh, we gain reputation. And if I play in, in some way uh, today, I'm selfish today, it will hunt me in the future. And therefore, uh, for example, in this prisoner's dilemma, uh, we could uh, play in, a, as uh, you said before, a tit-for-tat strategy. So, uh, w- which means that Every day, I look what you did in the previous encounter, and I copy what you did in the previous encounter. Okay. So So if today I I am selfish and I take 1,000 for me, then tomorrow you will not give me anything. You will take the 1,000 for you. And then in the long run, I lose. So that in such a repeated game, we are better off cooperating.
0: Right. Right. And is this tit for tat, um, does it seem to work most of the time in terms of, um, cause I think, I feel like there's this idea in the tit for tat of if you play nice, I'll play nice. And if you don't, then I'm not going to put up with it. Right. And that seems like a, a winning strategy in general in life. So is that what we see also?
1: So that depends. Uh, it depends on where we look. Okay. So, uh, Often, indeed, there is cooperation. And uh, people do cooperate and, uh, and try to, uh, to get an outcome which is good for everyone, rather than an outcome that is bad for everyone. However, not always. There are cases in which people, uh, people uh, coordinate on the bad equilibrium, on the bad behavior. Okay. For example, uh, if you take boxing, Mm-hmm. So in boxing, there, is, there are various categories according to weight. Right, right. Right. If you are above 70, uh, between 70 and 80 kilograms, uh, then you are in one category between 80 and 90 kilograms.
0: Yeah, and they do these crazy diets like the day before, right? Exactly,
1: exactly. So all of them are doing, uh, I would not say all of them, but some of them, uh, and uh, there are uh, actually uh, scholarly uh, papers about it, Uh, they do uh, diets. So that they actually compete uh, in a different category, in a lighter category, where they will have uh, advantage, relative advantage over their original weight.
0: But every, oh, not everybody, but most of them do that. So it becomes, you said, um, the equilibrium of not cooperating, in yes, a sense.
1: It, indeed. it is. So you and me, we could have competed in the 80 kilogram category. But since uh, we had a diet one week before, one day before uh, our, uh, our uh, competition, then we are both in the 70 kilograms. So we still compete each other, but we are hungrier.
0: <laughs> so we're both at a disadvantage. Yes, indeed. Right. So, okay. I think, first of all, really quickly, let's talk about what the Nash equilibrium is and then this idea that... We could there are games where we can get stuck in this um you know, disadvantaged equilibrium because mm-hmm. we're not cooperating and that it it almost it requires a leap of faith, right? of mm-hmm. both parties to start cooperating all of a sudden, which is very hard to do. So first, let's talk about what the Nash equilibrium is, and then let's talk about getting out of the state.
1: Yeah. So when we are uh, in a game, so each one of us has to make a choice. And uh, the choices. I mean, if this is a repeated game, so we make uh, a repeated choice uh, each each times we face each other, we make a choice. Uh, if it is a one shot interaction, then we make a choice, and then each one of us uh, goes home. So anyway, we have to make a choice, and such a, a rule that tells us what are our choices is my strategy or your strategy. Each one of us has it has its own strategy. Now suppose I knew what you are going to choose. Okay, I have, uh, I have a, a friend who is your friend and he told me what, uh, what you told him. Or maybe I have a spy who told, uh, who told me what you are going to do. Or maybe there is a uh, uh, cultural habits uh, that tells me that uh, people like you tend to behave this way and therefore I can conclude that you will make such and such choices. So suppose I know what you are going to play. What will I choose? Well, I will think what is my best way of action given what you are going to play. That is the the way of the the way of action that will give me uh, the that will lead me to the goal that I would like to reach. Now, similarly, uh, what will you do? Suppose that you know what I'm going to do because you also have a spy in my co- in my uh, uh, tent. <laughs> So in that case, you will uh, choose that, uh, that uh, course of action that is best for you. Now, what is an equilibrium? This is a pair of strategies, one for you and one for me, such that even if I know what you are going to do, I will still stick to my strategy because this is the best I could do. Okay. And similarly for you. Even if you know what I'm going to do, you will stick with your choice because this is the best you could do. Okay. For example, suppose that we are all uh, uh, heading into a junction with a traffic light. Okay. So I have a strategy. If I see a green light, I go on. If I see a red light, I stop. This is my strategy. Why is it my strategy? Because this is the best strategy I I, I can do, given all the strategies of the others. Because if I know that everyone uh, follow their strategies, then if I see a green light for me, I will be stupid to stop because I just waste time. Whereas if I see a red light, I will be, I don't know, (laughs) suicidal (laughs) to go into the junction. So this is an equilibrium. Follow the the rules in that case, but this is our strategies. Know that I can go into the into the junction when there is red light. Nobody stops me. It is all only not in my uh, uh, benefit for me to do it.
0: Okay. okay? So so that's the this general idea of the equilibrium. But there are situations, there are games where. There exists two equilibriums, right? One is like um, the, the, what we said, like a, the disadvantaged one where we're mm-hmm. both losing a little bit. And another equilibrium that could exist, for instance, is that we're both better off, but it would require cooperation and it's usually riskier. Exactly.
1: Take, for example, a queue. Okay. Okay. We are all queuing for some, uh, before some booth. I know we, we've been uh, redirected from our flights, <laughs> flights. <laughs> and uh, we have uh, to get uh, uh, new tickets uh, uh, from uh, the booth of the air flight company. I,
0: I would happily wait in that queue right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and then there is the German way or the Austrian way Mm -hmm. in which everyone keeps to the queue and we uh, wait until our uh, time arrives to get our ticket. There is the Israeli way in which everyone holds around the booth and everyone tries to get first. Both are equilibria. Right. Okay, Because if everyone keeps into the line, then I'm better off sticking to the line. Whereas if everyone runs to the booth, I will be idiot to uh, to stay in the line because then I will be the last one. Okay, so those are two equilibria. One is good, one is bad, but uh, and those are uh, two behaviors. And sometimes we th- we see those behaviors, and sometimes the others.
0: Okay, so now I think enters is a really interesting, you know, predicament of. How do we jump from the bad equilibria to the good equilibria? Like, is there anything in game theory that kind of helps us make that leap from the bad to the good?
1: Okay, so let's look uh, at North Ireland in the 80s and 90s, Mm -hmm. when the Protestants and the Catholics, they killed each other. Happily, each one killed the other. That was an equilibrium. If the Protestants kill me, well... I'm better off killing them and vice versa. And look at the situation now. When they live, uh, I do not know whether happily or not, but they live peacefully uh together and it is an equilibrium as well. Nobody kills the other. Okay? What did it take to move from one equilibrium to the other? Indeed a lot of trust in uh, or uh, maybe uh intervention by uh outside powers. Uh, but uh But uh, indeed, it is difficult to move from one equilibrium to another because you need a lot of force uh, to move or to change the behavior of the whole of all the players in the game. And the more players, the more difficult it is to change their behavior.
0: Right. I mean, I've been calling it this leap of faith. Right. Or, you know, as you said, this force, you do need a big push uh, from the bad equilibria to the good equilibria because it requires so much trust. And I think one of the interesting things that have been, that's been popping up for me from this has been that there is a sort of emergent ethics that's coming out of you know mathematical models of game theory. But this idea that really most of the time cooperation is the winning strategy. If the other side cooperates as well. Right. But this idea that if we have mutual trust, if we cooperate, then everybody is better off. And I think, you know, that's a good segue to talk about zero sum games and what what would be the opposite of zero sum games. Right. Where where the pie is expanding. What What is that called?
1: Non-zero-sum games.
0: Okay, no, there's no uh, fancy term for it. Okay. No. Um, so this idea of, I think a lot of times we look at life as a zero-sum game and as, you know, if, if um, I help someone um, do better, then I will be worse off. And when you look at life this way, uh, it, it would make sense to, you know, keep all the cards to yourself, so to speak um but i think we we find that there's a lot of situations that are not zero sum games where if you help other people and they're better off then you will be better off um by by extension um so can you do you have any examples from models in game theory that show us that yeah so zero sum games
1: are indeed not uh You cannot find them too much in real life. I mean, you do if you look at uh, at a sport competition. Right. Then either Team A wins or Team B wins, or maybe there is a draw. But uh, indeed, this is a zero-sum game. If you win, I lose and vice versa. But uh, in real life, hardly ever do we encounter zero-sum games. Because uh, if you look at about, uh, situ- about the interaction between an employer and an employee, you could think uh, the higher salary the, employer, the employee gets, then the less it, uh, it is left for the employer. But it's not true because then maybe the employee will work harder and will, uh, will make more money for the employer. So situations are not really uh, zero-sum. And actually what you have to do is to understand the goals of the other participants, of the other players. Because if I know your goals, then I can maybe convince you uh, that we have a way in which you will reach your goal while I'm reaching my goal. That's true. But what we think about is your goal.
0: Right. And this is this uh, idea that's driving cooperation of actually knowing what outcomes the other players want, right, and w- w- how they rank certain outcomes, yeah. and you know that those being basically their goals. And cooperation isn't this, um, you know, just blindly, uh, blindly positive kind of strategy, but it's this idea of okay, I know what you want, and I can help you get it uh, if you help me get uh, my goal as yeah. well.
1: Exactly, exactly. And this is something that comes up from game theory. When you formulate a game uh, in 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 a clear way, then you have to list the players. You have to understand who are all the participants in the situation, which is sometimes not clear. When you think of it, sometimes there are participants you are not aware of because you didn't think that they participate in the game.
0: For, Do you have an
1: example for us? Yeah. For example, uh, take uh, uh, Israel and the Gaza Strip and okay. Hamas. Okay. Okay. So, uh, okay, we fight uh, each uh, couple of years. We have some uh, some war between us, and okay, so there, is it a two player game between Israel and the Hamas, or maybe Iran is also a participant, and the U.S. and Russia are they participants or not? And Lebanon, and Egypt. Right. So there might be many more players in the game, and it is it doesn't involve only us and Hamas. Okay. So if we you want to uh, to make uh, the the best choice, I mean, from the point of view of Israel, if you would like to make the best choice, what is your best reaction? to the occurrence the a certain situation, you have to understand what are all, who are all the participants, how will they be affected by each of the choices that you'll make, what will you want them to, uh, to do, those other participants, and only then you can understand whether one course of action or another course of action is better.
0: Right, because each one of these uh, countries is pulling in a different direction. Right, each yeah. one has their own, their own goal, their own incentive, and the own their own outcome that they're looking to see. Yeah,
1: and maybe those other countries, those other participants, are participants of other games as well, because Israel and Iran are playing in many games, not only in Gaza, but we play also. Uh, I don't know in. Uh, we can read in the newspaper what are the games that we play. So, so we play, we participate in many games, and maybe what we do in one game will affect what happens in a different game. Right. So this should be taken into account as well.
0: Okay, so this is the idea of um, repeated games.
1: Yeah. So both repeated games, but also. It's it's more than repeated games because those are many games that we play in this simultaneously.
0: Okay, okay. So it's not it's not one after the other. It's the, it's happening in parallel almost.
1: Yeah, many games that that take place in parallel and which we uh, play uh, simultaneously. Yeah.
0: Okay, and basically. One decision in one game is going to affect our decision in another yep. game. Mm-hmm. Okay, I did want us to talk a bit about this idea of finite versus infinite games, right? And this idea that a finite games could be a single shot, or it could be repeated, or simultaneous, but it does have an ending point, right? A start and a finish of the of the set of games. And really, if you look at life, most most things are infinite. In the sense of, uh, you know, we talk about, for instance, um, I heard this one example of climate change, and we talk about it as if it's a finite game, as if um, you know the, the planet is dying and we need to to save it. But really, the the planet isn't dying. The planet isn't going like isn't going anywhere. If anything, we're going to go, right? Because we are finite within an infinite set of games of humanity. Um, And it's finding our place in there, but also understanding that, you know, when you look at the grander scheme of things, it isn't so much that we have winners and losers, but one day I can be ahead, another day I can be behind, but there's, you need to take into account this constant... The constant progression of games and the different games we all play, the the fact that, you know, first of all, cooperation is a huge thing. And if if we're looking at at infinite games, then our strategies are going to be a lot more long term, right? Because a lot of things that we do, if we look at a company and how they how they envision their future, it's very short-term goals that they set. And it's not quite long-term visions. So what what do you think about this idea of infinite games and how it can better inform us?
1: So I think that uh, at a technical level, we are playing finite games
0: because we have 120
1: years. That's it. Our games will be over uh, at the age of 120. And if you think about humanity, so humanity, Earth will uh, actually expire in 4 billion years, and that's it. Okay? So uh, even if the human race survives uh, the climate change, in 4 billion years, it's over. Okay? So all of our gains are finite, but they are long, hopefully. They are long, okay? We have until 120 years. So we still have quite a few uh, years to play the game. And similarly for the human race. And if we take firms, then uh, firms do not uh, plan to be bankrupt next year, but uh, they have uh, a lot of time. So we are facing long gains. Okay. And actually we do not know the length of those gains. Because whether I will uh, be given 121 or 122 years, I don't know. Okay? So we don't know the length of the game, but we know it, we hope it is long, or at okay. least on expectation, it is long.
0: But still finite, is what finite, you're saying. Yeah. Yes.
1: But then uh, it is uh, simpler to model such a long game as an infinite game. Okay, even though it is not an infinite game, okay. but we, uh, we treat it as an infinite game because it simplifies the analysis.
0: Right. And uh, when we deal with uh, long games, then even when you talk about, you know, the 4 billion years that the Earth is going to exist, yes, it's finite, but if from our point of view, it's, it seems <laughs> like infinity.
1: Exactly. The point is, what is uh, the important thing about an infinite repeated game? It is that in every period, I still have many stages yet to play. And in our game of life, also every day, I don't think that I will, I hope that, I, that the game will not be over in the next week. And therefore, I know that I still have enough stages to play. And in that sense, the, this, those long but finite stage games are similar to infinitely repeated games. And since the latter infinitely repeated games are simpler to analyze, it's better to study them than finite stage games.
0: I see.
1: Yeah, because uh, finite stage games technically are more more difficult because you have to think what is the length of the game, what is the probability that they will have this, uh, this number of years or that number of years. And it th- just adds complication to the analysis, okay. and it doesn't benefit us.
0: I see. So with infinite games, you could just um, uh, plug in infinity, and you're, you're and good we are for done that. with yeah. it
1: without harming the analysis.
0: I see. Yeah.
1: Now, if you think about firms, right. they they set uh, short-term goals. Some of them. The reason is discounting, okay. because uh, because uh, uh, the question is how do you evaluate. Uh, the outcome. So, so we play a repeated game. So in every period, every day, we have some outcome. Okay, today I work in this firm and then this is my salary. Uh, tomorrow I, I change my job and then I have a different salary. So I get, I get an income, I get an outcome from the game uh, in each period. How do I evaluate this infinite or very long stream of payoffs, of outcomes? So what uh, economists usually do, they say we have a discount factor. Okay? So which means that uh, uh, if I get $1 today, it is like getting $1.01 tomorrow because I could invest the $1 I get today in the bank and get uh, some uh, interest rate and get some, a little bit more tomorrow. So getting money today is worth more than getting money tomorrow. Okay, and uh, now what is the discount factor? The discount factor for us, okay, I mean, I don't know. I mean, usually it is the discount factor that we can get, the discount rate we can get in the bank, the interest rate. What is the discount factor of a country? So a country usually is very patient. I mean, if you look on the game between the Israeli and the Palestinians, for 70 years, we (laughs) do nothing. Okay, so it means that we are really patient, Okay? We don't care much about our losses uh, along the way, along those 70 years, as long as far away in the future, they want to get what they want to get, we want to get what we want to get, and we are patient. So the, the discount factor of the Israelis and the Palestinians in their game is very, very patient. I see. And firms, they, are, they face a lot of uncertainty about changes in the, in the markets. Whether will, there will be future opportunities for new markets, and therefore they are rather impatient firms, okay, and therefore they set goals that are shorter and not uh, for what will happen in twenty years, because in twenty years who knows what will happen?
0: Right, they, the unpredictability of it yeah. makes them more more impatient, and the short term profits are, become much more important in that case. Okay, so. I I wanted to ask if there was anything else regarding this field of game theory that you think is important for people to know and that you feel like most people don't know.
1: So I think that the most important uh, thing about game theory is that it helps us make better decisions because it helps us formulate situations, interactions that we face in a better way. It helps us understand the situation better. And once we understand it, it we can make better decisions. So this is the most important thing about game theory. And if anyone uh, uh, takes it uh, as a take-home message and, uh, and tries uh, whenever he or she face a, di- a really difficult choice, whether when... Uh, so he or she formulates the situation, understands it uh, formally, who is the? Who are the participants? What are their goals? What can they do? What is the information that they have? And then this way decides what to do. Then, I uh, made my day.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, I think uh, I think it's a beautiful way to look at human interactions, and it first of all brings some order into the complexity that we have, uh, you know, in human interactions, and helps us really better analyze the different goals that everybody has and helps us find a strategy that will work for everyone, really. And I think it's amazing how mathematics from mathematical models, you can really, first of all, model human interactions and this idea of, on the one hand, a lot of people might think that mathematics can be overly rational and from that rationality you know maybe we get a little bit of uh, you know the selfishness as you said like if uh, if in the one uh, one shot prisoner's dilemma it's better to defect then maybe maybe that's what we get from math but really when we zoom out and we look at these you know these reiterated games we see this emergent ethic of cooperation and trust and this idea of reputation coming in and i think it's amazing how these mathematical models can really you know inform inform our our decisions and our and our values which is not something that most people would expect maybe okay so thank you so much elon for coming to speak with us today thank you it was fascinating all right i hope everyone enjoyed for everyone out there listening, thank you for tuning in to The Bigger Picture. I hope you found this conversation interesting. You can find us on all podcasting platforms, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to hit subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. My name is Roni Furone. This is The Bigger Picture. And thank you for listening. Till next time.